Inflation is something central banks really haven't seen in the last 40 years. It's really something they haven't dealt with. So the big difference this time around is that rather than having a slowdown occur naturally, central banks are essentially engineering a slowdown by significantly tightening monetary policies. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. With a possible recession on the horizon, investors are wondering if there are similarities between the current environment and economic downturns in 2008 and 2020. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McKinney, Alfred Lee, and your host Mark Rays discuss what makes this downturn different. They also look at the yield curve, mortgage-backed securities, dividend ETFs, and Canadian banks. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoets.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Today, we have Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee on as our portfolio manager experts to cover a bunch of questions that have come in from advisors. I'd like to thank both of you for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. Morning. Well, let's get right at it. Uh, Certainly a lot of questions coming in around the yield curve and trying to look forward. So the curve, of course, looks very flat at the moment. Advisors are hearing a lot in the news about rising rates and certainly short-term Bank of Canada activity. But what is impacting bonds if you look towards the long end, let's say from 10 years and further out? We certainly have concerns over an economic slowdown starting to increase. So as a bonus part to this question, does this look at all similar to where we were if you look back to around 2007 heading into 2008? Thanks. So I'll start by saying that they always say that this time is different, right? But I honestly feel that if you compare you know, the potential economic slowdown that we potentially may see over the next year or so, and you compare that to 2008, uh, 2020, even 2002, uh, this economic recession or potential economic recession is potentially different. And, and the reason why is because, you know, when you look at the past, um, 2008, 2020, uh, those recessions were really driven by the demand side of the equation. So we saw, you know, a slowdown in demand this time around. It's really been driven by the supply side of the equation, which has really led to inflation or the lack of supply leading to inflation. So, you know, when you look at inflation, uh, inflation is something central banks really haven't seen in the last 40 years. It's really something they haven't dealt with. Um, so the big difference this time around is that, you know, rather than um, having a slowdown occur naturally, uh, central banks are, you know, essentially uh, engineering a slowdown by significantly tight- tightening monetary policy. So uh, this time around, I think the big difference is that you can't properly stimulate the economy. Uh, given that uh, inflation is still a problem, so they can't properly stimulate the economy until inflation is under control. Uh, so when you look at the yield curve, I think you know potentially uh, yields, especially in the in the middle of the curve or the belly of the curve, could be you know somewhat resilient. But if you are looking 
you know, further out in the curve. So if you look at, you know, yields 20 years and beyond that, they are starting to come down a little bit. They've gone down, you know, 40 basis points if you're looking at the Canadian 20-year. Uh, if you're looking at interest rate expectations, now the Fed is now pricing in potential rate cuts uh, in 2023. So if you are going to make a bet on long-term um, treasuries or long-term federals, now may be the time. But I think if you are an advisor, I think the safer bet is still hugging the short end of the curve. So, you know, when you're looking at the yield curve, as you mentioned, the yield curve is pretty flat. So, you know, the difference between the five-year and the 20-year is really just 20 basis points at this time. So I think if you're an advisor, I think you still want to, you know, allocate to things like ZCS, which is our short corporate, uh, ZSP, which is our short-term bond. I think those are good allocations to get, um, you know, allocation to the front end of the curve. When you look at the yields, um, for ZCS, yield to maturity is 4.5%. ZSP has a yield to maturity of 3.7%, so levels we haven't seen in quite some time. If you do want to make a bet on the long end of the curve at this point, however, you know, the way I would play it is essentially using essentially a barbell where you get exposure to the short end and get exposure to the long end as well. The majority of the exposure, I would use ZCS. Uh, so if you're hugging the short end of the curve, you're maximizing yield as well. Uh, but you have a small allocation to something like ZFL. So by using this barbell approach, I would definitely put, you know, again, the majority into ZCS, you know, a minimum of 80%. And then when you uh, want to make an allocation to ZFL, I would put no more than 20%. So um, again, the way I would play it is using the barbell if you do want that exposure to the long term. Great. Thanks for that update, Alfred. Let's stay with fixed income as well. Can we get your comments on ZFL? MBS or mortgage-backed security ETF. Advisors are certainly asking about the stress they're seeing in the housing market and wondering how that may or may not impact the CTF. So as you answer, can you speak to the mortgage guarantee as well? Thanks. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, with the Bank of Canada aggressively uh, raising rates over the last year or so or over the last couple of months, I think it's natural to think that, you know, what are the impacts on the Canadian housing market? Uh, and then more specifically, what's going to be the impact on defaults as well? So, you know, just to walk through the basics, mortgage-backed securities um, essentially are mortgages that are pooled together. Uh, they're originated and then sold off to investors. So how they work is essentially very similar to bonds where they pay a coupon. Uh, the primary difference is that because mortgages amortize over time and because there's prepayments, uh, mortgage-backed securities essentially operate very similar to a sinkable bond uh, a sinkable bond so you know i think when you think about mortgage-backed securities uh, one thing i would point out is that mbs in canada is very different from the u.s um, mbs often gets associated with bringing down uh, the u.s economy and triggering the financial crisis in 2008. one thing i will point out is that it wasn't necessarily mortgage-backed securities that were necessarily the culprit when you look at the assets that went into the U.S. mortgage-backed securities, you know, that was more of the problem, right? So, you know, in the U.S., you know, think back in 2008, there was a lot of the subprime debt, uh, the acronym, you know, NINJA loans, which is essentially no income, no jobs. Um, in Canada, the mortgage-backed security market is very different. It's fully guaranteed by the CMHC, which is a crown corporation. Uh, when you look at ZMBS specifically, uh, they invest in 975 pools. So that's essentially uh, the five-year residential fixed mortgages, which are uh, completely insured by the CMHC. So two key differences I would note is that 
uh, the quality of the assets going into the mortgage-backed securities in Canada, there's no subprime. So they are high-quality uh, loans, all fully insured as well. Um, so if we were to see defaults in mortgages and if defaults start to rise, uh, the CMHC would essentially backstop all the MBS pools and make them whole. So, you know, if you are an investor uh, investing in mortgage-backed securities, uh, the credit risk that you are taking on is essentially the credit risk of the CMHC, which is, again, a government agency. So, um, you know, if, if you are investing in, in mortgage-backed securities, um, you're almost investing in a federal bond. Um, you're getting a little bit of a pickup in yield just because, you know, mortgage-backed securities aren't necessarily as liquid as a government of Canada bond. So there is, you know, a little bit of a liquidity premium that is tied to it that you're going to be compensated with. So I think if you are looking at mortgage-backed securities or ZMBS, I think it's it's good for investors that want a short-duration product. Uh, if they want something that's AAA credit rating, so I know a lot of advisors, uh, some of them deal with municipalities where they have strict restrictions in terms of, you know, having, um, you know, assets that are AAA rated. So this is a good product for, you know, mandates like that where it needs to have a high uh, credit rating. Um, and, you know, when you compare it to federal bonds, you're, again, you're getting about a 15 to 30 basis point pickup. So I think ZMBS is a good tool for advisors. Um, it allows investors to easily access the mortgage-backed securities market. Uh, but in addition to that, you get the benefits of an ETF as well, which is the liquidity and you're getting diversification as well. So instead of investing in one single pool, um, ZMBS is going to allow you to have access to right now between 48 and different 48 uh, to 50 different pools. So again, you're getting that diversification and the liquidity of an ETF as well. Right. Thanks for that update, Alfred. Certainly a lot of questions coming in with the emerging and expected continued stress in the housing market. So great explanation of how this ETF has that backing from CHMC. If you're looking for essential information on BMO ETFs at a glance, check out the monthly momentum report, What's Trending? Consistent, comprehensive updates that feature performance numbers for all of BMO's ETFs, as well as easy-to-read charts and breakdowns by asset class and sector. Staying up to date has never been simpler. Access What's Trending anytime at bmoetfs.ca. So let's move on to the next. We're seeing a lot of interest coming in on the dividend factor. Uh, Can you comment on the performance of BMO ETF dividend exposures? And as well, describe the rules-based process on portfolio construction. Uh, I'd suggest using ZDY, or U.S. exposure. And as a bonus to this question, advisors have been asking how the portfolio construction from the dividend portfolios carries over uh, to the equivalent covered call ETFs. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. And certainly we have seen a lot of interest in the dividend factor given the recent performance. You know, if we take a look at ZDY, that's our U.S. Uh, dividend ETF. Comparing that to the broad market, you know, the S&P 500 or, or other broad market measures, looking year to date or one year, there's about a 10% outperformance uh, versus the broad market from that dividend factor. And it's not just in the U.S. If you look at ZDV, our Canadian, or ZDI, our international uh, dividend funds, you know, again, relative to their broad markets, there's about a 6 to 8% outperformance in those regions as well. So globally, investors uh, have flocked to dividend-oriented strategies. And really, it's because 
they're looking for those companies that are generating high levels of cash flow, um, you know, today and in the near future. Uh, certainly because of the inflationary environment we're in, um, you know, investors have moved away from those growth-oriented stocks and those companies that have uh, hopefully some earnings in the future and have flocked more towards those companies that are generating cash today uh, with their current operations. So certainly uh, some strong performance from that dividend factor. Taking a look uh, more specifically at the at the U.S. and, and where that outperformance has come from, you know, some of it has come from just being in those sectors that are naturally a little bit more defensive. You know, things like consumer staples, healthcare, and utilities. You know, these sectors tend to be a little bit more stable when we see markets sell off, like we have seen so far in 2022. So having uh, exposure or overexposure into those sectors certainly has helped, as well as being underweight. Uh, the technology sector, which you know historically hasn't paid a ton of dividends out of that sector, so just by by nature of a dividend mandate being underweight the tech sector and overweight some of those other more defensive sectors, we've seen some of that outperformance. But also within sectors, you know, even within IT, um, you know, having exposure to a company like IBM that is again less growth oriented, particularly against other technology-related names, you know, you don't think of IBM as a high-growth company, but it does make a lot of cash from, from operations, you know, today and, and this year and next year. So, you know, investors have uh, rewarded uh, companies like that. And then also in, you know, the communication services sector that has a, a mix of companies in there, having exposure to things like AT&T and Verizon, those traditional telecoms have has done well so far in 2022 relative to not owning things like you know, Meta slash Facebook or, or Google slash Alphabet. Um, so those are some of the areas that have, that have really helped the performance. In terms of how we get there, you know, the second part of your question, that portfolio construction element, how do we create this portfolio to begin with? Um, you know, we really start with, of course, the region um, that, that we're interested in. So in the case of ZDY, we would look at the U.S. market. And the first thing we do is really screen for companies that are growing their dividend over time. So we look for a positive three-year dividend growth rate. Uh, certainly, we, we want to get rid of anything that's negative over that time. We would accept a company that's flat in terms of their dividend over the three years, but we're really looking for those dividend growers over time. And then once we whittle down the list um, to those dividend growers, we apply a sustainability screen. So we look at cash flow from operations and we go back several years for this one. We go back four years and we have a, a, a forward-looking measure as well. Um, and so we're looking at free cash flow from operations and seeing how that compares to the actual dividends that are being paid out. And that gives us an idea of the sustainability of that dividend. You know, are these companies making enough cash from their operations to pay those dividends in the future? Um, so, you know, once we have these companies that are have scored well in terms of growing their dividend over time um, and being able to sustain that dividend from their operations, we rank that list by total dividends paid. And what that measure is, is you can really think of it as a dividend per share times total shares outstanding. So you're getting an actual dollar figure of the companies that are paying out the most actual dollars in dividends back to investors. And that's the list that we create our portfolio from. Um, and from there, we have sector constraints and security constraints as well to create a nice portfolio um, construction element that's diversified across sectors. You know, I mentioned the certain overweights and underweights that we get, but we generally do have exposure to almost all um, of the sectors of the broad market. And so you get a nice diversified portfolio 
that has that tilt towards those cash generative companies um, that, that I mentioned. And so that's really what we're getting out of the dividend portfolio in times like this with the inflation as, as high as it is, you know, this is what investors are, are really looking at. Um, for the last part of your question there, how does that methodology compare to ZWH? Um, that would be our high dividend uh, US covered call ETF. Really think of that high dividend covered call fund as a, a more concentrated version of our dividend-based methodology. So we follow the same approach, but in ZDY, our dividend ETF, we're taking 100 companies to build that portfolio, whereas in ZWH, uh, we're only taking 35 companies. So we're tilting a lot more to those larger cap names. Because we're running a, an option overlay on top of it, we're really looking for liquidity um, and efficiency in the options market as well. So there's just an added level of screening that we do for that high dividend portfolio. And again, you know, because there's only 35 companies and it's a bit more concentrated, we want to have a little bit more conviction in those companies as well, because um, naturally they'll have some higher weights in the portfolio. So adding on that extra screen of liquidity and, and options market liquidity um, and really creating a, a, a subset of that dividend portfolio in a more concentrated manner, it leads to very similar sector exposures than, than the broad dividend does, uh, but just with a smaller, uh, generally more large cap portfolio. Right. Thanks for that update, Chris, and very helpful how you tie the cover calls together with the uh, dividend ETFs. I think a lot of questions have been coming in looking to extend that dividend factor to the cover calls. Advisors are also asking for an update on ZPay, our premium yield ETF, as markets decline and the puts potentially move into the money. Uh, as you respond, what do you do with the equity positions as they come in? And how dynamic are you with the portfolio equity weight? Thanks. Sure. And maybe just a bit of a recap as to, you know, the overall strategy of the premium yield ETF. You know, this is a strategy that it, it's intended to be, uh, you know, less volatile exposure than, than a pure equity ETF would be. It, it's generally underinvested in equities. It's not a fully invested uh, portfolio. Um, instead of, you know, going out and buying the equities outright, uh, the portfolio sells put options on the stocks we would like to own. And the, the result of that is you're, you're generating a premium in the portfolio. Um, and so, you know, largely that's what the portfolio does is simply um, use cash as a collateral for that short put and generate a premium on that while only holding a, you know, a smaller amount directly in those equities. To give you an idea, um, you know, when we started uh, 2022, uh, ZPay was invested about 37% of the portfolio was invested directly in equities and the, the remainder, as mentioned, was in cash and selling put options on those stocks. And so as we enter the bear market, you can see that defensive posture really helping this portfolio. You know, if you look year to date, uh, ZPay down somewhere around 9% uh, with the broad markets, you know, down in that 15, 20, even 30% range, depending, uh, you know, if you're looking at the NASDAQ. Um, and some of the more growth-oriented uh, benchmarks out there. So, you know, with equities down a significant amount, you know, this fund is down in the single digits because of that defensive posture. Now, one thing to note is that as the markets do sell off, those put options that we've sold move into the money. We allow those to get exercised, and then we enter um, a, the long stock position. And so that, that equity weight that was at 37% to start the year um, has now moved up to about just over 70%. You 
you know, particularly in May and June, we saw this um, really accelerate with, um, you know, that second leg of the of the down leg that we saw um, in the market sell off. Um, you know, a lot of those put options move into the money. And again, we allow those to get assigned because we want to enter those long stock positions at depressed levels. The other thing too uh, that, that's that's really important here is that we're we're writing puts on stocks that we would like to own. You know, we'd otherwise like to own them. You know, outside of valuation concerns or what have you, um, but we want high quality companies that you know if we do get assigned on these stocks, um, you know, we're fairly comfortable owning those stocks in a long position. And so you know, you think of companies like you know Apple and Microsoft, for example. These, these stocks are down about 20% year-to-date, maybe 25% off their all-time highs. Um, you know, the fund has some exposure to those, but the, the puts um, that we got assigned on have a strike price much lower than, obviously, where the stocks started the year at. So the market has sold off, you know, 15 20 25%, um, but the stocks that we own, are, they're only down, you know, a couple of percent from where they got assigned in those put options. Let's call it on average for for the largest weights in this portfolio. You know we're about five percent trading lower than than where the portfolio entered those positions. So now we have a portfolio of, of high quality stocks that have been bought at um, you know pretty reasonable valuations. And if we see any sort of market comeback, you know that's the that's where the other side of the strategy comes into play. Um, you know similar to what we do in our covered call portfolios. We'll start to write call options on these stocks, on these long positions that we have direct exposure to. And as the market rallies, we'll allow those stocks to get called away. You know, if they do move past what the strike prices are on the call options, we'll allow those stocks to get called away. And so we're really trying to reinforce this buy low and then sell high sort of mentality. And at the same time, we're getting paid on both sides of that transaction because we sold the put to enter the position. Um, so we gained a premium there. Uh, we buy those stocks, again, at somewhat depressed levels from where they were trading to start the year. Um, and then when we end up selling uh, the stocks, we've sold a call option in order to create that exit point. So we've earned another premium by selling that call option, and we're creating an exit point for these stocks. And so as the market starts to rebound, or if it starts to rebound, you'll see this equity weight start to naturally drift back down as some of these positions start to get called away as markets start to move back into a more normalized environment. And so again, you know, we're a little over 70% invested directly in equities in the premium yield fund. So that's about as high as it's been, you know, since the COVID sell-off. That was a very strong and quick, you know, snapback in terms of what we saw in 2020. So we don't expect the speed um, that we saw back then to play out again here. But over the next several months, um, we think we have, uh, you know, attractive exposure to, to very strong companies that have low debt and consistent earnings streams. So um, with higher interest rates, you know, these companies are not going to be hamstrung in terms of the debt levels and the, the interest that they have to pay. And, you know, if there is an economic slowdown as well, um, these companies that t tend to have more consistent earnings streams, um, we would expect fewer surprises to the downside as, again, um, you know, the, mar the uh, economy starts to slow down and earnings start to get revised down as well. So, um, you know, very, very um, attractive portfolio, again, entered at somewhat uh, attractive prices as well. And uh, we'll look to use the option market to start to bring that weight back down and, and continue to earn uh, premiums while we wait. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? 
Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.ca and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS, or read our latest product insights. We have one more question that's come in today. We're seeing increased interest in ZEB, our Equal Weight Canadian Bank's ETF. And we are seeing the indicative yields climb above 4% uh, on both ZEB and from the underlying banks. Is this a rule of thumb result that makes the banks uh, a buying opportunity right now? Or do you see more factors in the marketplace? Thanks. Yeah, so we, we definitely are seeing a lot of interest in the banks right now. Year to date, if you're looking at the flows in ZEB, I think we have roughly about you know, $735 million into ZEB. So uh, definitely a lot of interest in terms of the Canadian banks right now. Uh, when you look at the reasons why you might be interested in the banks, definitely a lot of you know, reasons why you might want to own the banks right now. So I'll start with valuations. If you look at you know, the P ratio of ZEB, for example, it's trading at a current P ratio of about nine times earnings. When you compare that to the broader TSX, which is you know, 14 and a half times earnings, you're roughly you know, getting a, a 40% discount to the market. So uh, from a valuations perspective, it's very attractive right now. Uh, dividends, as you noted, is also another um, attractive opportunity at this point. So the underlying portfolio has a dividend yield of about 4.7% right now. When you compare that to historical levels, um, that's actually pretty attractive. You know, the general rule of thumb that we have on our desk is that uh, a, a phrase that actually McKinney coined is that a couple of years ago, he said, if you look at the dividend yield, when the dividend yields at four, you buy some more. And I think generally uh, that is a good rule to abide by. Um, Chris Heeks, uh, another portfolio manager on our desk, actually put together um, some analysis on, on this uh, a couple of weeks ago. So you could find that trade idea I believe on our dashboard. Um, if you want, uh, if you can't find it, you could definitely reach out to your ETF specialist. Uh, but what he did was he compared the different yield levels and then the next uh, 12 months return um, on the Canadian banks. And what, what he noted was that as the dividend yield moves above 4%, uh, the next 12 months returns on the Canadian banks tends to be pretty strong. Um, so again, if you want access to that trade idea, uh, definitely reach out to your ETF specialist. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, when you look at the banks, there's a lot of seasonality as well. So I looked at my Bloomberg yesterday. Uh, what, what I noticed is that, you know, over the last 10 years, when you look at ZEB, uh, the back half of the year, it's the last, you know, six months of the calendar year, um, performance tends to be stronger, especially in the month of November. That was the month that uh, stood out. And I think that's really due to, you know, banks having their fiscal year end at the end of October. So I think, you know, for the most part, uh, banks have historically, you know, outperformed in terms of the market expectations. Uh, but all in all, I think, you know, a lot of investors right now, they are pointing out that, you know, when you look at the yield curve, it is a flattery yield curve, uh, which, you know, all in all tends to be a negative for the bank. Uh, they generally reference the difference between the two-year and the 10-year. Uh, what I think investors should be looking at, however, is the difference between uh, the Bank of Bank of Canada overnight rate versus the five-year. Um, essentially, you know, when you look at banks, they essentially borrow uh, using the Bank of Canada overnight window, and then they lend on the longer-term rate. So, using the five-year, uh, that spread is actually widened. So, 
Um, a lot of talks about a potential economic slowdown right now. Uh, so you could generally expect, you know, less demand for banking services such as uh, loans and mortgages. But I think with that wider uh, spread, that should definitely help offset some of that slowdown uh, through wider margins. So I think um, overall, when you look at the Canadian banks, uh, they are very unique. Uh, they tend to be very conservatively managed uh, compared to their global peers. Um, also independently regulated as well. Um, when you look at Canadian banks, they're very often touted for their economic soundness. Uh, so I think you know, that's another reason why you want to own the Canadian bank. So again, you know, ZDB is a good way to get that exposure. Uh, very simple, uh, getting exposure to the Canadian banks equally weighted. Uh, for the investors that want a little bit more income, they could always go into ZWB, which is the covered call um, alternative, which has that uh, option overlay uh, in addition to owning the Canadian banks. Right. Thanks for that update. Certainly some opportunities presenting themselves in the marketplace right now. So a lot of advisor interest coming in on the Canadian banks. So with that, that's all the questions that we have that came in this week. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. Once again, we really appreciate your time. Thanks to both Chris and Alfred, some very helpful and insightful responses uh, covering a lot of different areas that we might be looking at within our own portfolio. So thanks for that. And with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have an excellent day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McKinney, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Canadian MBS Index ETF, ticker ZMBS, which offers access to the mortgage-backed securities market with the benefits of an ETF, including liquidity and diversification. Our experts also discussed the BMO Premium Yield ETF, ticker ZPay, ZPAY, which features attractive exposures to companies with low debt and consistent income streams, as well as an option overlay. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.